Hey everyone, this is Cassius Villachella, and you're listening to Homeroom, a podcast for students looking to break into the startup space. And today, we're speaking with Dan Alshuster Malik, a managing partner at Inovis Asset Management. So, Inovis is a global investment firm focused on companies developing replacements to animal products. And it was really exciting to speak with him about the future of cellular agriculture, given that it has just hit its stride and is scaling in numerous parts of the world, like Singapore, the United States, as well as places in Europe like the Netherlands. We're really excited to hear his perspective. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. One of the biggest things that people look for in companies is a good team. The team you build is the company you build. But I've previously interviewed mostly software companies where in a matter of days, you can turn around a product, you can talk to users, and it's quite easy in that respect. Food tech, though, is different. You're on a much longer timeline where the product isn't necessarily built. It's going to take millions of dollars to even build a prototype. How exactly do you view teams in that context? Are there things that have changed or what's, what's your take? When we are exploring an opportunity to invest, there are obviously different parameters that we're talking about and trying to understand if we are a good match. Because this is not just about signing a check and uh, hoping for a return. We are investors. We are partners with our portfolio companies. And at the end of the day, it's about people who can relate to one another. And so what I'm looking for first and foremost are groups of individuals that have a collaborative nature, that are very curious, that are driven to a success that aligns what I consider success and where we have shared values. Um, Values, I think, are particularly important for me because we are talking about transforming how the world feeds itself, a growing population. And within this, I think there are some places where we cannot take shortcuts. Obviously, I want our companies to be efficient with the capital. I want our companies to find ways to manufacture their products um, as efficiently as possible. Uh, But I want to make sure that the products that we are presenting to consumers around the world are healthy. We want to focus on products uh, that will be good for individuals, that will be good for the planet. Uh, We also have a animal welfare uh, focus. So we want to reduce the amount of animals that are within the global food supply. So when I'm looking at it, it is very different than tech for several reasons. On one side, it's not break it and build it back better. We have a different mindset there. From the get-go, the products need to be safe. They need to taste good. If they don't, you can't do a beta and launch to market until you have some minimal parameters set up. That's first. Second, food is a very collaborative industry. You are working with a lot of people throughout the value chain, from your raw material vendors to co-manufacturers, to your distributors, to your retailers. So you need to have a collaborative mindset as a team. It starts with leadership and it goes throughout the organization. So that is the second thing that I am looking for that I'm not sure if it always needs to apply to tech. 
And then I want to I want to invest in founders and in teams that have a vision of making the world a better place. That they are using technology, they are using uh, forgotten uh, plants, they are using different uh, flavors from different uh, countries to present to uh, people around the world products that they can enjoy because there's something very personal about food. It, food is our nourishment in terms of our bodies, but it also nourishes our souls. It is how we break bread with family and friends. We have all these childhood memories. And so food, is, I think, is very magical along those lines. It 100% is. I'm Italian. We love our food. And there's nothing like a good meal on Sunday night with family. I totally agree with that. I'm curious to know what your screening process is. We, we talked before the call about Keith Raboy, and he kind of had this adage in another podcast where he said, I want at least half of my friends to laugh at me when I make a new investment. Now, he didn't say half of his partners that, at the firm, but just his friends in general. Um, do you have a similar methodology for screening? Is there something that's a little mundane like that, that kind of gives you a sense of how big the idea is, where it can go in the future? My screening is, to a certain extent, my palate. If something tastes delicious, if something is appealing to me, uh, that's what piques my interest. For example, a couple of years ago, uh, a founder who came from tech approached me and said, I want to do something in the space. I see all these companies that are creating hamburgers uh, to recreate beef from plant-based sources, but I actually want to do it with lamb. Uh, his name Sun Sunny Kumar. That company is Black Sheep Foods. And just by saying that, it piqued my interest, piqued my curiosity, because when I was growing up, my grandmother made a delicious rack of lamb, uh, leg of lamb, sorry, which I miss now that uh, I am plant-based. And so, and this began a journey together where each time he would bring me samples, they improved, they improved, they got to a point where I was comfortable investing. And he has continued to improve on those products. They are now available uh, in the Bay Area. There are different restaurants that are carrying them. And hopefully it'll start to expand the distribution regionally, nationally. Uh, but yeah, so does it taste good uh, is a parameter. Or can it start to taste good is one way that I look at it. Another is what are all those products that before I used to eat when I, I ate animal proteins that I can't have anymore? To a certain extent, I have limited my options uh, by choice. Uh, but what else is out there that people can uh, can create that's going to pique my interest? Uh, cheeses, for example. There are starting to be more and more plant-based cheeses around, but I think that's a market that still has a lot of opportunity. I miss a very strong triple cream. I miss uh, there was a, a cheese that was called the Stinky Bishop. I used to love. Uh, you know, I can't have that yet, but hopefully an entrepreneur will knock one day and say, you know, try this. So uh, it all starts with a palate. That's really cool. You just mentioned Black Sheep Foods has a couple of places where they are serving their products. The Asian market has been a leader in the industry. I think particularly in Singapore, there's other companies in the United States like Just, Impossible Foods, Beyond Meat. There's the European market as well with Moza Meats, and I'm speaking with the founder of Meatable later this week. And I'm curious to know as an investor, where are you prioritizing your time? Is it geographies? Is it different subsets within verticals like cheese, like different kinds of cultured meats? 
what is your opinion on, I guess, the market overall? And what are you paying attention to? First, we invest in the best possible companies uh, based on our criteria. Uh, and at the same time, there can be several companies that are going after the same type of product uh, where we will not pass on one or the other just because they could be competitors in the long run. Because right now, this is such a nascent industry. So if we're looking at it from the source of proteins, uh, we are looking at companies that are developing products from plant-based proteins. We're also looking at companies developing these products through fermentation and companies that are developing what is, has been called cultivated, cell-grown, lab-grown meats. Uh, so we are, that's one way of looking at our portfolio. Another is with the type of product that they're coming to market. If it's beef, replacements to beef, to poultry, to pork, to lamb, uh, to cheeses, to other dairy products, to eggs, to fish, to seafood. So we're trying to look at all of those different categories. And then we're also trying to understand uh, the ingredients themselves. Some are more clean label. Some have more processed uh, in, within their products. Uh, and I think there is a market for a lot of these products. Uh, the consumers are, I think, all over. You are you're seeing a shift in the population. Consumers that are saying before they only ate uh, animal protein products, now they're becoming flexitarians. People who are already flexitarians are reducing their intake. And we are having some of the giants in the food industry uh, say, you know what, we are going to add this to our menus because we want to give consumers choices. And that's how I see the world. Where are these choices going to be? Everywhere. Uh, we've seen that there's a lot of excitement um, in South America. Brazil, for example. In spite of the fact that it is one of the largest countries uh, in terms of cattle, in terms of beef, there is a growing interest in plant-based products uh, for different reasons. Animal welfare, the environment, health. Um, Europe has definitely taken a lead. Uh, some countries such as the Netherlands uh, and are very huge with plant-based products. Asia is also coming to the party. Uh, and people are seeing for different reasons. For example, plant-based proteins are just less resource intensive. And if you are the government with a very large growing population, that's important to you because you want to make sure that everybody is well-fed. Absolutely. And you mentioned a couple terms there, people having different dieting habits, given that they are a bit more conscious now about the impact that it can have on the environment, the typical meat industry, dairy industry, etc. I'm wondering, is this a phenomenon in LPs as well, the people that are investing in the funds? Are there certain groups? Are there various institutions that are a bit more bullish on this sector than others? My business partner, Chris Kerr, started investing in uh, vegan companies a long time ago. And he can tell you that uh, when he started, there are very few investors who considered this an attractive investment opportunity. I think thanks to the hard work of a lot of entrepreneurs and early investors, um, such as Ethan Brown at Beyond Meat, such as the folks at Clara, now the Every Company, it became a much more interesting investment opportunity. 
at the same time, it is important to recognize that, you know, these particular two or three years, we have seen a lot of funds available going into all asset classes. It's uh, maybe inter interesting what will happen in the next three to five years. I can say that in the five plus years that I've been doing this, we have started to see much more investors excited about the space uh, that are coming from all facets of life. People who used to invest solely in tech, people who are investing from a sustainability point of view, people in the CPG space. So it is a broader set of investors and also not just in the early side, but you're seeing investors who are later and later in stages, series C's, D's, E's, uh, very excited about the opportunities. I was going to ask you about first-time funds as well, because not only have we seen the rise of startups as a bit of an in vogue, if you will, venture to go down as a young person, it's the same with venture capital now. A lot of first-time funds are coming in the woodwork with maybe 10 million, 15, uh, upwards to 50 million in AUM. What has that been like for established funds like Unovis? Well, the truth is that this is our second fund, so we are still uh, young, I would say, as an asset management company. I think what we're seeing is there has been increased interest in entrepreneurial endeavors uh, for the past, you know, decade, two decades. A lot more people are saying, you know, I can start a company and good for them. And so there is the demand uh, for capital. And at the same time, it is becoming easier and easier to raise money and to allocate it. I think the challenge is that uh, venture funds don't make their money when you invest in a company. It's very easy to write a check. Uh, you make your money when you sell. You are in the business of returns. And you need to be mindful that you don't know what the economic landscape, the macro landscape is going to be like in five, seven, nine years from now. And so I think it's important that uh, people who are in the initial stages uh, recognize that the times could get more challenging and they need to be preparing for that. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of some rumblings in the markets lately. Is this a beginning of a shift in the environment? I don't know. But uh, it's important to recognize that. It's also important when you're thinking about valuations. And it's important about not having a herd mentality when you're investing. Just because a lot of people are going into something doesn't make it good. Just because companies raised at a certain valuation doesn't mean another company should aim towards that because they can get in trouble. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of valuations and valuing companies in general, what would you say is something counterintuitive about the space and i always give the y combinator example that paul graham says what is something counterintuitive about the space about the macro landscape right now that not many people are thinking about well i don't know if a lot of people are thinking about it or not but just because the the space has been cataloged as food tech doesn't mean that it's going to uh apply the same lessons as technology-focused companies. We do not have the hockey stick. This is not about, you know, if you get it right, then you can repeat and repeat and in a short period of time have exponential growth. 
food companies, uh, you can consider them, I like to talk about them rather, in terms of being uh, stools with three legs. You have manufacturing, you have distribution, and you have demand. And those need to grow in parallel. If you build up one of them while not having the other two solid, the, st the stool is going to fall over. What does this mean? If you build out a huge manufacturing facility on day one, and you don't have the distribution channels and you don't have the demand, it's going to sit idle. If you just set up a lot of contracts with all the distributors all over, but don't have the manufacturing uh, or the demand from consumers, then you're going to have a lot of upset retailers who are going to return the product to you when they get product. And if you blow uh, your marketing uh, out of proportion and get a lot of consumers excited, but they can't get your products, and uh, you can because they can't, you don't have the manufacturing or the distribution. They're going to turn around and they're going to find somebody else to fulfill that need. So you need to be mindful a bit. At the same time, when you're scaling up manufacturing and food, uh, it's not that easy because we're talking about uh, chemistry. We're talking about all these different elements. We're talking about transforming atoms. We're not talking about sending bytes of information from one place or another. So uh, I think that's something to be very mindful of. So when an entrepreneur or an investor says, we'll just build a manufacturing facility, there is a lot more there than signing a check and waiting for it to be delivered. So I think that's one of the things that, that I keep reminding myself about when I get excited about a company because I taste something, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yes, let's sign on, but wait. My partners will say, what about the manufacturing? What about the technology? Can they deliver at scale within what are really very low margins, low margins of food? That makes a lot of sense. Is there, is there an element of pattern matching in the industry? I know there is in software. There might even be in other domains now related to software like crypto. But how does that typically work in the food realm? There are trends. You can see that there are trends. Uh, I would say the past 12 to 18 months has been focused in alternatives to chicken products. And we have seen a lot of companies just flood the market with their respective ones. You have Beyond Meat right now at KFC. You have Tyndall that just announced a very large raise. You have my portfolio company, Alpha Foods, with all of their products. So you could say that that category right now is very much in vogue. Uh, before that, it was the hamburgers, uh, thanks to Impossible and Beyond's efforts on the marketing side. Um, so I think their hype is something that you can see goes in different trends. But in terms of consumption, you know, we eat, uh, those that can, three meals a day. Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we have a global challenge with people being undernourished. Uh, but people who, uh, who can afford to eat many times a day and every time they're taking choices and they're, cho what we want to do is provide as big a palette for them to choose from that fulfills their needs that they get excited about, uh, and that just complies with everything that they're looking for. Okay. So this concludes my conversation with Dan Alshuster-Malik, a managing partner at Inovis Asset Management. If you like this episode, be sure to give it a download as well as rating and review wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time, I'm your host, Cassius Pellicella. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.